Pulling the twins off at school, done my run, coming back from my run, listening to a very interesting podcast about finding some Colombian con man who they can't find. And I looked down and he's very good, actually. I don't think they'll ever find him, though. So it's yeah. one of those you get to the end, you're like, I've just gone through 10 episodes and still haven't found him. Um, he's on about his 50th passport now. And I saw a message from you and you said, when would be good to record today? So I was kind of thinking, you know, juggling as we're both doing. And I said, well, I could do like in about an hour and then this. And then I got upstairs and I got into the shower. I came out of the shower and you went, can you do it now? Mm. <laughs> Wonderfully, you gave me 10 minutes. So we've, you've got a sleeping baby. I've got very wet hair, but I'm pumped. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not the best planner. So it's more <laughs> just, yeah, now go, let's do it now. I live, live in the moment. That's, that's how, how I would like to describe it. Um, but yes, no, it was worked out perfectly. So here we are. More tennis has happened. Yep, here we are. More tennis, well, tennis never stops. Something we established a long, even in the off season, it doesn't stop. And can I tell you that life where I live, as we know, in Windsor never stops because we've just had the coronation. Now we've got the horse of show. Of course. Yeah. I nearly got run over by all the horses were, were they being warmed up, exercised out in the parks and nearly got squashed by one of those. And everything's still being packed away from the coronation because we had the big, so obviously the coronation was in London, nothing to do with us, but then we had the big pic, we had the big concert. Did you watch the concert on Sunday night? Did you watch it? Yeah, looks like a lot of fun. Do you like it? Did it look good? Windsor yeah, look good? Yeah, all of it was, uh, yeah, well, Windsor always looks good. It's got a mega castle in it. Yeah, big castle. And some good, good uplighting as well. So really good, good uplighting, great uplighting. <laughs> we, so it looks pretty smart. We um we had friends down, so we thought, oh well, we should go along to give them some Windsor experience. But it was really muddy; it'd been raining, and everyone's like, oh, "It's going to be a washout." Yeah. So we were kind of trudging through the mud thing, and I was thinking, how long is acceptable before I say to our friends? we just go why don't we just leave this kind of muddy kind of festival pit and then the security guy appeared and said uh could you please stand there and I thought well this is slightly right I was literally in the middle of of a field it was a busy field but a field and so we stood there and the next thing the princess prince and princess of Wales are walking along this makeshift path that we're kind of either side of um there you go and so I had the children in front Obviously, one of the twins, he's older but shorter, looks kind of cute and little, but he's obviously older and bigger than he looks, older he looks. And suddenly, Princess of Wales stops and starts having a chat with him. Oh, wow. <laughs> All these years of living in Windsor, <laughs> finally. <laughs> and suddenly, and he, but she picked, the, she picked the shire of the two. So my other one shook the Prince of Wales' hands, was kind of chatty. But the little one, she bent down. She was fully bent down. There's sort of all these TV cameras around. So my eldest was a bit kind of like, oh. So she's like, what's your name? And then she's like, are you enjoying your day? Have you had an ice cream? And he kept shaking his head. And I was like, stop shaking your head. <laughs> so, so she's like, well, have a nice day and I hope you get an ice cream soon. So basically his takeaway was, he wasn't that interested because she wasn't a footballer and he's big on football. And secondly, mm -hmm. he was like, that lady said, you've got to buy me an ice cream. <laughs> that was, there you I go. Was like, and she seems important. So there you yeah. go. Got, got to listen to her. I'll be so fascinated to hear what the coronation was like for international listeners. Like, did it register at all? I imagine it registered in various places around the world. It's a pretty big deal. Um, but obviously we're we're British and just sort of in amongst it all. It, it was... Uh, um, we had a street party, which was oh, fun. Did you? I mean, oh, did you? any How excuse for a street party? Yes, yeah, great. It, was it was it a good street party? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all, I mean everybody came out. You know, all, all the kids. We did it on the Sunday, yeah. so it was better oh, weather. Yeah. That was 
that was important because the Saturday was a washout. <laughs> Would not have been a fun street party. But yeah, I did it on Sunday and it was, um, yeah, it was fab. But I am interested to see what people think be- from uh, around the world because it's a, obviously like we've never seen a coronation before either. So it's new, oh, true. new for us. I think sometimes people think because we're British, we sort of watch them all the time. You know, we, we live and breathe <laughs> it, and we know it. We know that like we know it inside out. But uh, you know, it's all it's all a bit of a novelty, really. Did isn't it? did you watch it? Did you watch the actual coronation? I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, not all of it. I mean, it, it's ultimately a church service, um, a fairly lengthy <laughs> one. Which there's fairly, nothing wrong with that. Long. It's just you know, you know, it's not. Yeah, there's just some slightly different elements. Church service, they put pop a crown on his head. That's um, that was about the well, gist of it. Lots as of singing. We saw, well, as we saw, they had a little bit of trouble. They were kind of screwing the crown on his head at one I point. I think they're very <laughs> heavy. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. Very you don't heavy. Want I, actually, I actually, the boys were, they were watching, I think they were watching a rerun of the Football World Cup final, Argentina-France, yeah. for the, I, I'm talking, we're into triple figures now. Um, and I just said, look, boys, I think we should put it on. And they were like, why? And I said, just, because it's sort of a historical, I said, we're not royalists, but I just, it's a big moment. So I thought, just have it on, have a little look. Because it, it's, it's a, the, the Brits do things like that very well. The sort of the ceremony, the the yeah. outfits, the everything. And I was like, just have a little look because it'll probably come up in class. Probably people will talk about it. So they just, they just had a little watch and they said, mummy, can we, is it done now? <laughs> can, can we switch it off now? So we, yeah, we had a little bit of it. Yeah. And as I say, it was sort of predominantly a church service, which is completely fine if you want to sit and watch church service for an hour and a half or however long it was. Um, but uh, yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't too dramatic. I think it was everything else, wasn't it? It was the parade, the procession, the 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 hip hip parades. I think everything around the actual coronation bit was the, the concert, you know, all that sort of stuff was uh, definitely yeah. much more much more fun um but yeah it was good it was a nice weekend loads of bank holidays in may yeah. can't complain yes we had another one here in the uk another bank holiday on that monday our street had a kind of impromptu street party on the monday it wasn't huge i was actually working on the monday but it was a little gathering but no it was nice but now say so we've got the it's called the royal windsor horse show which is kind of taken over i think for the next four or five days and then i think windsor will just go back to i guess i guess being windsor but in amongst all the kind of coronation and the bank holidays and children not going to school. The tennis, well, in terms of what we talked about last week, we were talking about Emma Raducanu. Would it be maybe a good idea for her maybe to sit out the clay <laughs> then come back later? As it turns out, I think a few hours after we recorded, she she's she's going to be sitting out a lot longer with, with a total of three operations she's having. Oof. Oh, it was oh, horrible news, isn't it? Really devastating. Yeah. I mean... I suppose positive because it potentially could put an end to all of the niggles and all of the difficulties that we've seen from her. But I mean, it is tough to be having operations this early in your career with very little playing been done. It's not like, you know, because you wear out your joints and your bones and you know, that's what happens. I and mean, as we see, you know, somebody like Andy and, you know, the doll just taping themselves together just to, to get on the court when they get older. But, you know, that just shouldn't be the case when you're young and it you know this is you know surgical intervention and it can sometimes you know lead you down a path that can be really difficult it it it's not guaranteed to sort it out um it could sort it out but then cause other problems um it's the ankle one i'm sort of less concerned about because ankles are are ankles <laughs> 
this is my insight. Thank, thank you for that insightful comment. No, it's like um, the the big problems. Yeah, you know, if you're a tennis player, the probably the biggest area that you don't want to have impacted is the wrist because we have seen how devastating it is for players. Look at Dominic Team right now; he's having to rework his entire. Um, his entire game, his entire technique to try and come back from that issue. Look at somebody like Laura Robson, the Brit. She had an operation on both wrists, never really returned fully. Um, you know, that was really difficult um, for her. And yeah, so both wrists are being operated on for Emma. That, you know, that's that's pretty significant, pretty serious. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's concerning because there's no guarantee it's going to sort it out that's the the trouble because because that's the i mean everyone will know this anyway but that's what absorbs all the shock that takes the brunt of all the force and when you imagine the balls you're hitting whether it's in practice or match situations that wrist has to hold firm it is it's the apex of the force that's that's flying through your hand and arm yeah it's also about like the looseness of the wrist as well like you have to really fling it about you need lots of lag you know if you freeze frame the positions that the wrist goes into it looks a bit weird sometimes I look at it I remember looking at a picture of myself hitting a shot and with my wrist at a funny angle and I was like I don't think I can physically put my wrist in that position how does that happen um so it is very much um an area that you don't really want to want to mess around with but I mean she clearly doesn't have a choice um so fingers crossed uh, she's able to recover that the surgery is successful and she's able to play again. But she will have to completely start over again. I was talking last week about how having time off is an issue and especially when you have time off, play a little bit more time off, more time off. It just really compounds and this is going to be a big block off for her. So it will be completely starting again. Yeah, because someone was uh, talking to me about it and they said, do you think it means she can come back with less pressure on her. And I said, I don't think she will ever have less pressure on her. She is Emma Raducanu from from what she did and then all the other bits she did around it. She is a, she's a superstar. You know, the, the, the other pressure now will be, can she get back there? That, that will be the spotlight. You know, the spotlight's been, can she match what she did at the US Open? Can she hold on to that ranking? Can she stay in the top 100? Can she this and that? There's never going to be a case where... I don't. I mean, you might think it's wrong, but or different, but I don't think there'll ever be a time when Emma Raducanu can play pressure free. Because the next set of pressure is: is she able to come back from this? <sighs> yeah, I, that's it. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, look, pressure is ultimately what you put on yourself. It's how you digest everything that is going on. But uh, we've said it so many times. It's just so weird that everything's happened backwards. It's you know, really, the pressure should be on the players. Um, that haven't quite won a slam. Somebody like an Ons should be, if if we really think about it, she should be feeling the utmost amount of pressure because she could possibly finish her career without winning a Grand Slam. And that would, yeah. you know, that would be a disappointment to her because that's the goal, right? You know, she wants to win a slam. She wants to win Wimbledon. She's been in finals. And, you know, but once you've done that, and that's what Emma was saying and she said it so many times she's like I've literally won a slam like why is there pressure I've done it I've I've, I've done it I've, the thing that everybody <laughs> desperately wants to do remember remember the amount of pressure on Andy before winning a slam or before winning Wimbledon just the desperation yeah. of wanting to do it and she's like but I've done it like box ticked mission complete you know, sort of like an Ash Barty mentality she's like yeah I've done it cool checking out thanks <laughs> yeah I'm off 
I completed, completed the game. Um, so you feel like there shouldn't really be any pressure, but there's just so, so much attention. And it's amazing, isn't it? That she can win the US Open and the most common question, even within the world of tennis, even when I was talking to press, talking to coaches, talking to media, anyone within the world of tennis, as soon as she won that US Open, the question was, yeah, but is she the real deal? And it's like, but she she literally just won a slam. I don't quite, what what is that as a question? What do you mean the real deal? How is winning a slam not the real deal? <laughs> I don't understand. Like... It's so bizarre. There will always be something, you know, like, you know, Andy's won his few slams. But, you know, no, he hasn't won 20 plus slams like the others. Does that make him not the real deal? What's the real deal? I don't know. Is Federer not the real deal because he doesn't have more? Do you know what I mean? It's so there's just always another level. (laughs) And I mean, it's amazing that literally within hours of her winning that slam, people go, well, is she the real deal? I mean, what more evidence do you need? <laughs> she's won a slam at 19. But it doesn't matter. But also it doesn't matter if she doesn't win a match ever again. She's the real deal because she's a Grand Slam champion. I just, do you know what I mean? It's so bizarre. Yeah. And she came through qualifying. She did not drop a set. She is the real deal. She beat everyone and everything that was that was put before her. So, yes, she is. And it's. I think the other thing is, is mentally, I, I guess this is more from the athlete's point of view, is having the confidence in the wrists again. I remember Nishikuri came back, had wrist surgery, and I remember it was at Monte Carlo, and, and he was talking about it. He said, my, my doctor and trainer have both said, I cannot do damage to my wrist. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. He said, but mentally for me, I, I was nervous. I was nervous about that force going through my wrist, even though he'd been told by everybody around him, it's fine, you're fine, it's healed. And I've seen that with footballers who've had hamstring problems. They they don't want to extend themselves to the max. They're worried it will go again. And Dominic Team having the faith in his wrist again, Juan Martin Del Potro. So I imagine, and maybe it's a youth thing again, she, she's young enough for that to be fine. And and I don't know in terms of injuries you had at, at different levels, but it's it's having that belief that it's fine and you you can, you can give it everything and not do it damage. Yeah, I mean, you could argue um, that as long as it takes to rehab it physically back to 100%, it then takes the same time again to get the confidence back. So you sort of have to do double rehab. You have to get it back up in action and then you've got to start learning to trust it again. But it's incredibly difficult. And as I say, with wrists, you really are just giving everything you can in such a loose way and slightly out of control that's the thing it's the difference between the wrist and the ankle you know an ankle you know you're sort of in control of it all of the time unless you roll your ankle then you're not in control of it but you're sort of that sort of movement that hyper extension if you roll your ankle if you if you if you go over on it that's sort of what you're doing to your wrist on every single shot is you're stretching, you're sort yeah. of flicking it around and you and that's the lack of control. And now look, you can roll your ankle and not sprain it at all. I do it all the time. You know, and people go over on their ankles, they get up and they're fine and they carry on. Sometimes it can look really, really nasty. But, you know, imagine you're having to do that to your wrist on every single shot. It's, you know, it's a little bit scary. You know, you do feel vulnerable, but as I say, because you just don't have the control and it's going at such high speed that, you know, once you commit to the shot, you're committed. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Um, and uh, to find that level of commitment again, even if you're just off by 1%, you know, it'll never be what it was really. So... I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I mean, look, it's, it's it's tough, isn't it? It's really tough for her. She was clearly in a foul mood in Madrid, as we were talking about last week. Um, and this is the reason why she knew her 
clay court season and grass court season was over. She's probably less bothered about the clay, but more bothered about the grass. Um, you know, an opportunity to to play at Wimbledon gone. I mean, you only get a certain amount of years. Say you play at Wimbledon 10, 15, you could have a 15-year career. You, you only get to play there 15 times. And this would have been her third time. So you sort of, um, it, it ticks away. And it, and all of the work, I think if I was in her position, I think the hardest thing would be that all of the work that's been done over the past year and whilst there haven't been the results, there has been the work and her game has started to grow. It's really just gone all for nothing, to be honest. But you mentioned Madrid in there. So that was the headline, especially from a British point of view at the beginning. Do you want, by the end, we have different headlines swirling around. Do you want to start with the tennis the actual tennis that was played and who won, or do you want to start with the the controversy at the end of the women's doubles final? Let's get to start with the tennis. Let's start with the the, the who won. I mean, look, Alcaraz defending a Masters title um, at his age is just yeah, it's huge. You know, his home country, the works. You know, <laughs> I was just thinking, do you think people are asking, is he the real deal? <laughs> there will be someone there will be someone there will be someone I was just about to go Alcaraz the real deal I was just about to be like look he's defended Masters titles he's the real deal he's a slam champion world number one people are going is he the real deal though oh my god but there will be someone what's the tipping point I don't understand what's the tipping point of being the real deal that's what I want to know I, you know what I would say I, in general I'm not saying this is my thing but I would say for in general it's probably multiple Grand Slam I think if you win more than one Grand Slam title I don't think anyone can question if you're the real dude because you've actually backed up the best thing that you can achieve in tennis. I'm not. Actually, I'm not saying that's my sure. that's my barometer, but I could see that being many people's barometer. Yeah. Okay. Un- understood. Um, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, yes. But no. Amazing performance from him. Yeah. Uh, it's just so much fun to watch him play, taking the game to new levels. We'll continue to see it. He's the real deal, guys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah so no um, that was great I don't know what did you think uh, for me uh, that felt like almost as big not necessarily as big as winning a slam but it felt like a huge moment for him to defend a Masters title like that I think is uh, it's pretty mega yeah absolutely and and he did it with he did it with such style it, it wasn't easy um, even in the final against Jan Leonard Struff and, and a word to Jan Leonard Struff who's rank, oh, yeah. ranking as a result of that had shot back up and it was so nice to see him playing like that. And you can also, what about Aslan Karatsev? Where's he been? He appeared, disappeared, popped back up again. Borna Chorich, the run he had. I mean, we know what Chorich can do and has done on the past in clay, but just, so there, I think there were some lovely stories through that. But for Carlos Alcaraz, I was about to say, here's the real deal. I've got to stop saying that. It's um, the way he's come back from injury, the way he's handled everything since winning the US Open and being number one, and he's likely to go back to being number one. Very The way he handles everything, that's what I love about Alcaraz. It's always with a smile. And he has no less pressure than anyone else because he's had the pressure of every press conference he went in in his early stages of being compared to one of the greatest tennis players there's ever been. So every time he went in, oh, you're like him. You act like him. Do you want to be like him? Do you want to emulate him? Can you be as good as him? So he had that pressure. He wins a Grand Slam title. We know players react very differently to that. He got the world number ranking. He was then injured. But he's done it all with a smile. He's, he seems, what I love about um, Alcaraz, and, and to a state, Igor Shontek is, is they, they thrive on that pressure. They like it. They want it. And, and they grow from it. He looks, he looks so relaxed. He looks so good. I mean, it's frightening. If you're in a draw with him, it's, I think it's at the moment, I was looking at the Rome draw when it came out. I think 
you're more frightened to be in Alcaraz's section than you are in Djokovic's. That'd be right? That'd be fair? I think, yeah, based on the level that they're playing, I think that's that's fair. I think it depends at which stage you're playing them. I think if you're in a final, you probably and you're taking on Djokovic, you're probably feeling like you've got less chance than you have against Alcaraz, even though Alcaraz is probably playing the better tennis right now. Well, he is playing the better tennis right now. Um, it's just because, you know, the latter stages of a tournament, Djokovic just knows how to find it really from, from nowhere. And maybe Alcaraz is that little bit more inexperienced. But yeah, it's um, it's great. I can't wait. I, I, what we want is Alcaraz, Djokovic, Grand Slam finals and Masters finals. That's what we want. But on... Um... On who you're most afraid of, who's coming into form. Nadal, we now know, have played a warm-up event. Do you hold... it? Yeah, we can say it's Roland Garros, it's Philippe Chatrier, it's best of five sets, etc., etc. But where are you where, where are you now with Nadal going into the French? Yeah, this isn't like that time when it was held in October... And it was, everybody was talking about this. It was really this, cold. Yeah, this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't people trying to cling on to the tiny percentages that might make a difference and that means that Nadal doesn't play very well, which is what we had in that October one. This is about the guy hasn't played. He hasn't played. And I think that it is highly unlikely that he would play um, with no warm up tournaments. It's one thing, last year he played very, very injured, very, very injured. Um, but, you know, he was sort of playing. He was just playing very, very injured. And as you say, this would be the first time no warm-up events. I mean, does he want to turn up and potentially go out in the first round? Who knows? But, I mean, what he did last year was was absolutely bonkers on one foot. I can't see him... I can't imagine him not being there, even with no tournaments, because surely there must be something in him thinking but it's best of five and it's Roland Garros and there's something about it. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm in that kind of fairy tale world of, of Nadal at Roland Garros. I just, I can't imagine him. I mean, I just, I can't imagine him not being there. If he is fit, I know he hasn't played any, but if he's physically able to be there, despite not having played in recent weeks and months, I just can't imagine him not being there. But, but... I know. It's weird, isn't it? Um, I sort of can imagine him not being there. But I, I can't comprehend how painful that would be for him. Can you imagine being at home if you're Nadal? I mean, it's like it's his tournament. They should rename it. <laughs> it's the Nadal Cup is what it is. Um, it's his birthday there. He's, I mean, it's, it's everything about that tournament screams yeah. screams him. Screams well, you know, his do you remember? What, do, you, sorry, do you remember back in 1910? Um, <laughs> do you remember? Yeah, no. <laughs> No, not do you remember? Do you remember the fact that, and people might not remember this or might not know it at all, that uh, I know at Wimbledon anyway, I'm not sure about the other slams, but at Wimbledon it was um, uh, the winner, um, winner of each year would just turn up for the final and everybody else would battle it out. And you yep. would, they would just turn up for the final and I love that. you just won a match. That, the but way. that's basically what Nadal has done. As in, he's just been guaranteed to be in the... It, it is about, can you beat Nadal to win this tournament? That's yep. just it, period. And uh, not many people have. Um, but it has just felt like that. It's like, well, yeah, he's a banker. And you go, feel sorry for everybody in his entire half of the draw. <laughs> the 63 players in Nadal's half of the draw. That's your Roland Garros title dreams over. Um yep. And then there he is, he sort of walks his way to the final, winning like 1-2-1 one, and one in the quarters um, against top 10 opponents and absolute nonsense. And um, yeah, it just it feels like 
I don't know. Can you win Wimbledon? Can, can you win Roland Garros without a Nadal in there? Does it feel like you've won Roland Garros if Nadal's not in, even in the tournament? Of course it does. Of course I'm 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 being silly. Look, his no, but statue people, no, will but be people there. in the past who have won Roland Garros, it's like, oh, they won Roland Garros, but Rafa Nadal wasn't there. But that was at a different time when Rafa Nadal wasn't beaten up, bruised, and his body completely battered. But it's I, I, it I know to come to mean. an end at some point. Yeah, Whoa, it's, it's, but it is. Oh, it that, is oh, absolutely weird. phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. It's 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 better than anything that's been achieved in tennis. It's got to be up there with one of the biggest achievements in sport period of anyone ever. Um, it is absolutely oh, yeah. ludicrous. A lot of people say that it's the toughest challenge in sport. Nadal on Chatrier. It's just. Oh, do you know what I'll I'll miss this year if he doesn't play? It's just looking at the face on the opponent that walks onto Chatrier against him. Because the noise, and you know it, like I, the noise when Nadal walks onto Chatrier. I mean, he might as well be French. It's just absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine if he was French as well? Could you even imagine? They'd lose their minds. Um, but yeah, there's the noise and the look on the face of the opponent because they walk out first and then the camera is always on the doll when he walks on for his eruption in the crowd. And you know, if you're if you're on site, you can take a little look and they always do just have a little bit of a jolt, a little bit of a look because it is so loud. No, but you know what it is? It's the moment, right? You're playing Nadal on Chatrier. So it's the first round. You've got through. You can't believe it. You're a bit scared. Your legs don't move. Your arms feel heavy. And then the MC introduces both the players. And you have his number, whatever he's done this. He's a lovely man. He lives with his mum. And he's a great fella. And then you go on to Nadal. Once you've got through everything, he then does every year of every title he's won. It's so good. And a cheer after every title. And you're down the other end thinking, my legs felt like lead. I now can't move. And if you didn't really, really know what you're up against once they finally got through all the titles you're like yeah and that was only the titles at Roland Garros yeah. I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's so uh, good isn't it it's special isn't it it's, it's, it's absolutely so special. cool I, and I always oh. I just laugh every time because it is so ludicrous <laughs> it's, and it's just so long every just... every single yes. year um I, I remember you know watching the episodes in um Breakpoint um, around Roland Garros. So you had Casper Rude against him and it was also, well, Rude was the final, but before that was Oje Aliassim. And uh, you could just see, I think anybody watching that could see that Nadal had won those matches before he walked on court. 100%. Just the, the intensity of him in the locker room. And I just found it so fascinating talking to Ben and to other people who don't know about the workings on. They're like, why are they always waiting for him? And I'm like, because that's how it works. They pick up the lower ranked player first. You then go to the changing room and... You know, he's not called until you're standing outside. So then he's going to make you wait. And then, you know, it, so you, you have to wait. Um, but it was just amazing how they just looked so intimidated, so intimidated. And look, that is and, and everybody watches that and goes, well, why don't they just give it back? Just do it back, you know, because, you know, Nadal's sprinting and bunny hopping and doing all this stuff <laughs> and high fiving all of his team. And you can see how locked in he is and any hope of him not playing well, because that's what you're going to have, right? You're taking on Nadal and you're ranked seven in the world on Chatrier, right? The first thing you're thinking is, well, you know, if he's not at his best, then I can maybe do this and get in and be competitive. And this is that that's what you're clinging on to. And what he's doing with all of that, 
um, pre-match stuff behind the scenes is making a statement to his opponent that he is 100% locked in. He's not taking anything for granted and that the chances of him not playing his best are very, very low or not his best, but, you know, well enough. Um, is very, very low, probably zero. And that is what you can see just sort of drain out of them. Like just any sort of belief is gone because you're just looking at him going, he is taking this match more seriously than I've ever taken anything in my life. And the longer the tournament goes on, the less chance you have. And it shouldn't work like that because the longer the tournament goes on, the high-ranked player you probably are going to be facing, Nadal. And if you've got very little hope in the first round when you're, I don't know, 57 in the world, it doesn't mean that someone who's two, three, four in the world is going to have, or one in the world is going to have any more hope because when you get to the final, you know that Nadal, with the problems he was facing last year, couldn't feel his foot, all the thing. He knows it's one more match. He knows he's just got to put himself through one more match in his backyard to get another title. And so it's crazy that you have, you have even less hope, even if you go out there as a very good established player in your own right. You, you just, as you say, the look on Kasparud's face, you're like... Oh, it's not going to end well. <laughs> I think I think one of the things that we've learned from Rafa, especially last year, with what he did at the French, and then of course he had to pull out at Wimbledon. Um, I can't remember what round it was, but uh, anyway. Um, but I think if he takes to the court, he believes he can win. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think yes. we just have to trust him on that. He is not going to turn up, no. play, and just lose two, two, and two because he can't move. Um, if he's walking on that court, he believes that there is a way to win. And if there's a way to win, annoyingly for his opponents, he tends to find it. And, you know, and then at Wimbledon, he pushed it as far as he could. And he just got to the stage where he was just like, I I cannot win this match. It's not happening. Mm. I'm not going to play yeah. anymore. And so I think we've got to trust him. If he turns up to Roland Garros and if he walks on that court in round one, I think the whole tournament better be scared because... He's, I think, particularly with Roland Garros, I don't think it's even about winning. Maybe he would take it round by round. But if he doesn't think there's a chance of him winning that first round, I don't think he will walk on the court. So if he's walking on the court, he's he's done something. He's stitched himself up. He's he's had he's, he's had a leg transplant. I don't know what he's done, but he's he's gonna make it happen. A couple of people we expect to be walking out at Roland Garros faced off against each other in the final of Madrid while we're still on Madrid, with Sabalenka coming through 6-3 in the third against Friontek. I watched the final. I enjoyed the final. I was, I was happy for Sabalenka sorry, to kind of break that mental block against Fiontech. Uh, I, I like them as a pair coming up against each other. And, and I like the fact that Sabalenka, and I know she went out super early in Rome, but I like the fact that Sabalenka has carried on from the Australian Open and she's kept some momentum. Yeah, I think, look, Fiontech is going to be the consistent force, probably the world yep. number one for a long time to come. Yep. She's made it perfectly clear. Now, this is a full 12 months of her being ludicrously consistent at the top of the game. Um, but I think that other players in that top 10 with the experience that they have now are going to start beating her more and more frequently. So we are going to see a lot more sort of runner-up plates from Shiontek. She's always going to be operating at that back end of the tournament. But the likes of Sabalenka, um, yeah, I could put Jabur in there, but I, I sort of fancy the bigger hitters a bit more. Rubakina, those sorts of players, we have seen them overwhelm her. Pagula maybe. Um, 
you know, it can happen. I think they've got an awful lot more belief than they had this time last year where they were just all looking at each other going, any ideas? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> no? We'll just go lose one-on-one, shall we? Um, so I think that we're going to see, as I say, Shvantec's going to be the one to beat, but she's going to get beaten by those real challenges. Look, she's going to make a statement and go, you're going to have to be world-class, a big hitter, and you're going to have to do it to a world-class level to beat me, but they can now. That's the difference. And I think they know what they're doing. They've sussed it out a little bit. Um, So it's going to be really fascinating, I think, particularly back end of slams now. Um, You know, as I say, I see Shontek going, you know, more very consistently deep in events. It's always a bit of a shock when she loses early at all. Um, Whereas the others, it's a bit more, you can see them going out early. It's a bit more hit and miss with what they're able to deliver. It's still relatively consistent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Sabalenka, as you say, she's, she's backed stuff up. She is playing much more consistently than she has done before and is achieving a lot more. But, um, you know, you could see her crashing out in a first or second round just here and there. And, you know, it's fine. Sort of what you get with her. So, um, yeah, yeah that's sort of how I see it panning out the rest of the year. And that's what we got with Sabalenka in Rome. Pagula lost early in Rome as well. And Pagula links us back. We're sort of flip-flopping Madrid, Rome as we speak. It's early stages, Rome. Back to Madrid because Pagula was involved in the women's doubles final top seed with Coca Goff. They lost out to Beatrice Haddad Meyer and... Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka had Hadamaya actually comfortably won that in straight sets, but it was what it was what followed or what should have followed but didn't follow that caused the problems and has led to the Madrid tournament offering an apology. Yes. It was a fascinating one, wasn't it? I didn't quite know what was going on. Um not very nice for people not to be allowed to speak after winning a title, as we had. Um, yeah, don't really know why, don't really know, um, yeah, what, what, what they were thinking really. And of course there was going to be significant backlash. I don't know why the tournament were surprised by that. Um, and yeah, they're going to look at their, their protocols. I know that there's different things to navigate and, you know, politically and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, look, if players are playing a tournament, they've got a chance of winning. And if they've got a chance of winning, then they get to do everything that comes with that or coming runner-up as it as it is. So, you know, whoever's in the tournament, you, you win the... That's the point of getting to the final. You get that ceremony, you get the chance to thank people. And it was so sweet that Coco Goff was thanking everybody on, on Twitter because even though she's won loads of titles and been in huge amounts of finals, especially her and uh, Pagula, she's like, no, no, again this week I want to thank people. I want to, you know, that that's what she does. Well, it's, it, it, look, it's a, it's a lot of people that puts this together, isn't it? Yeah, it's the people on court who are taking the prizes but it's the coaches it's the family it's the friends it's it's sponsors it's everyone who makes it possible and that's the opportunity and for some they win titles all the time but as you said Goff still wanted to say thank you for others winning titles isn't something they do all the time they haven't done for a while Victoria Azarenka in her case you know her son her son Leo is now of an age really of an age now where he gets it do you know what I mean when he's a baby you say oh I thank my children they're like looking at you like waving their arms thinking what's going on but it's a it's it's your it's your moment. And look, that's a really good win over Pagula and Goff, had Admire and Azarenka. It's, it, it's your moment. And they didn't get their moment. And Pagula and Azarenka, they're all asked about it. As you said, Madrid have come out and apologised. They're going to rethink things. And the other thing that people saw a discrepancy in was um, Sabalenka and Alcaraz both had their birthdays. And Alcaraz had 
this sort of it's like a wedding cake it's as big as a wedding cake it was yeah given to oh, it was enormous he's <laughs> an athlete he's not going to eat it um on court and Sabalenka had one tier of a wedding cake sort of in the locker room and it's just sort of you know come on guys we've got to let's let's make two wedding cakes or just two little one tier things it's just let's we're both at this tournament we're both at an equal level we're both at whatever as you say politically things come into it but let's just if you're going to give one one Give the same to the other. You know, if you're going to give a microphone to the men's doubles, as you always would, give it give it to the women. So I, I think it's I think it's understandable that the players were asked about it and weren't happy about it. But as I say, Madrid have come up with um, a statement. And I think it's safe to say that in Rome, probably everyone's going to have a little speech after their wins. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. Although Rome doesn't have the best record at that sort of stuff, to be fair. Um <laughs> You know, they're the, going to be uh, exemplary this year. They're going to be perfect. Wow! Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that is the difference, say, between somewhere like Madrid and Rome. Okay, everybody's getting hung up on the cakes and the speeches and stuff. And I understand. I think it was a bit silly on their part. I'm not particularly angry about it, but um, it just was a bit like, oh, come on, like it's just this isn't this is a bit silly. There's no need. Um, but Madrid has equal prize money. Rome does not. By a long shot, <laughs> there's a, a massive, massive difference. And if you're a ticket holder and you pay your, I don't know how much it is, you pay your 50 euros, 60 euros, I don't know how much it is to go, you will see men's tennis and you will see women's tennis and they will not be receiving anywhere close to the same amount of money. Yeah. They will both be playing best of three sets. And, you know, that is, uh, for me, a much bigger situation than a cake or a speech. Yeah, and, 100%. And, and that's where I do feel a little bit for Madrid because there are a huge amount of tournaments that don't have equal prize money. A lot of Masters events, 1,000s for the women's, that don't have equal prize money. It's not just Rome. And so Madrid is one of the ones that does. And yeah, they've made a couple of silly mistakes. There's comments about the models of ball girls as well. And that's always been a historical thing in, in Madrid. But, you know, all of that stuff, I think personally is not really that important in comparison to paying people the, the same amount. And on that note, with your baby about to wake up, and I was told by my children this morning that the fridge and the cupboards were empty, and can I go out and buy some food? <laughs> I was yeah. like... Come on. I was like... Come on, Mum. I was like, okay. Um, and one of mine, despite their young age, is a massive Eurovision fan he watched a bit oh fun I, I don't know where it comes from I think he caught a bit of it last year and I think it meant it he could stay up late so I think he he equates Eurovision Song Contest with not going to bed do you see what I mean yeah so now he's like yeah, he's like mum we've got to which we've got to watch the Eurovision Song Contest I'm like do we really so I've got to I've got to go and get some food and get because soon it'll be off to France Roland Garros so I've, I'm gonna uh, the mum guilt is kicking in early so I'm gonna get some food we're gonna watch Eurovision yeah. and have a bit of a, a thing oh that'll well, be fun well, well enjoy well, and feed your children no yeah uh, primarily I've got to go buy some food to feed my children uh, but, but it was lovely and um, I was 